It's so good to have people in this room. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure some of you have done this before. You've done public speaking in other places, but there's such a big difference between speaking to more or less an empty room and a room filled with people. And so it is so good to see you this morning. We are glad that you're here. For those of you watching from home, good morning. We hope that those of you that are able to come will come and join us in person. We know that there are many of you that still need to stay at home, and we certainly understand and respect that, and we're glad that you're able to participate with us online. This is kind of a, an exciting day for me because the last time that I preached was the second Sunday that we start, after we had started live streaming. We had kind of been preparing for it even before COVID, been getting things ready. Rob and Corey had been purchasing the equipment and getting it set up. We did one live stream. You were here and then you had to go home, and you couldn't be here, and so we just live streamed, and we've been doing that for the last several months, and it was a weird Sunday to be preaching because I knew that there weren't going to be people in the room. There were just a few worship team members, some staff, and a couple family members. Um, I was preaching on the reaping from Revelation 14, which is a weird passage kind of to be preaching on on that Sunday with like nobody in the room, and um, it just was really, really difficult. And as I reflect back on the last several, not only weeks, but months, a lot has transpired, hasn't it? We have walked through and continue to walk through a global pandemic. There has been social unrest, lots of conversations around race and justice, injustice. The economy has been doing all sorts of things. We're in the middle of an election year. And so on one hand, that Sunday, just a few months ago, was really just that, just a few months ago. And yet it feels like, on the other hand, it was a lifetime ago. It feels like it happened so, so long ago. And reflecting back on all of this time, it has really helped me to realize how far just we have come as a church. I think we are so much better equipped now to love and serve and care for our community. There's still so much more that we can do, but we have come so far. And I think reflection, the process of reflection does that for us. It helps us to understand the lessons that we have learned, the events that have shaped us, the people that have impacted us. When I was little, I loved hearing stories from my grandparents about when they were little. Stories about the olden days. That's what I'd ask them. Tell me a story about the olden days, about, about when you were little when uh, my dad would go and drill, he was in, in the Marine Corps Reserves, and so once a month he'd have to go and, and do his Marine Corps uh, Reserve drills. Oftentimes we would go down to University Place from our, our home in Linwood, and we'd stay with my grandparents. It was in the house that my mom grew up in, and down in their basement there were several bedrooms down there, one of which had two twin beds, and we affectionately referred to that room as the double occupancy room. As a little kid, I had no idea what that meant, but it just was because there were the two beds there. And we brought a cot in there. So it was my mom and my sister and myself. And we stayed in this room. And I remember being so excited in the morning to run upstairs into my grandparents' room and crawl in bed between the two of them and ask them to tell me these stories about when they were little, about their childhoods, about family members that I never had the opportunity to meet. I remember on another occasion, my grandma came and stayed at our house. And this didn't happen often. This might have been the only time And I remember we made this makeshift bed on our family room couch. And again, I came out in the morning. I crawled into this bed with my grandma. I asked her to tell me stories about when she was a little girl. Tell me stories about family. And she had family in North Dakota, family members that I'd only heard names of. I had never 
met them before. But these were significant stories because they helped to frame and point me back to this history, this heritage of where I came from, this legacy, if you will. It provided context for who I am today. And I think that's so important as we step into the future. And I think this is important for all of us. It speaks to where we've come from and it helps us to grow and develop. Chapter 12 in Hebrews is a chapter that is focused on forward motion. It is a chapter that focuses on the progression, the progress, the development of the believer. It's a chapter that encourages the believer to run the race. We see that at the very beginning of chapter 12. To persevere, to endure, to press on, to submit to discipline, which is so hard to do, to transform our character. It's not a chapter content with just letting the believer be. It's a chapter of action, drawing the believer forward and encouraging them to press on. And in verses 18 through 29, which we're going to look at here in just a moment, we see what it is that we are pressing on towards and why it is so worth the effort. However, this portion of chapter 12 begins with some reflection on the past. And so if you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. If you're at home, feel free. We are reading again from chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage starts out with such a vivid picture contrasting the Mosaic covenant, specifically Moses receiving the law at Sinai, this this old covenant, and the new covenant found in Christ. And we see this imagery of Mount Zion, this heavenly city, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, as it says in verse 22. Verses 18 through 21, again, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm to a trumpet blast 
or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This is such a a sensory description. However, in these verses, we don't specifically know what is being spoken of here. It doesn't specifically talk about Moses receiving the law, but we know from Exodus chapter 9 that that's what's taking place. The descriptions that are given here are the same descriptions that are given in Exodus. Exodus 9, 12 through 13, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. In verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And 18 through 19, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered. God establishes this covenant and he gives Moses instructions and he gives him law because this is an important covenant. Now covenants in general are important. They symbolize an agreement, but this covenant was being made with God's chosen people. There were lots of people, but God chose the Israelite people, and he gave them instructions to help him, help them follow after him in this covenant. But in spite of all of the help that was given, in spite of the Ten Commandments, in spite of these, these conversations with God, there was still separation between God and his people. And there was still fear. There was a lack of intimacy and an inability to personally come to God. And I think it's clear that the author of Hebrews is pointing believers back to the covenant that God established with Moses and the Israelite people, providing a reminder and a context within which to frame a new covenant, a better covenant. Whereas in the Old Testament, covenants were typically sealed by cutting a calf in half and walking through to symbolize what would happen if a person were to break the covenant, the blood that would have been shed. We see here in verses 22 through 24, a new covenant has been formed, and it is sealed in a different way. Verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the first, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In these two sections, we see two very different images. Two very different pictures are painted. We have this picture of what took place at Sinai, this this incredible experience, but one that also brought about fear and trembling, where things were shaking, where Moses himself was fearful of what was going on. 
And then we see what happens at Mount Zion. We have this physical location, then we have this heavenly city. And at this place, there's this joyous celebration with thousands of angels. In Deuteronomy 33.2, it does mention angels at Sinai, but in this account, we don't see that. All we see here is a lot of scary stuff. But at Zion, it is celebration. The angels are joyous. They're celebratory. We also see what are probably other believers that have gone for and are in celebration. The circumstances of these two accounts are radically different, but the most significant difference between these two accounts and the one that makes all the difference in the world is the mediator. At Sinai, the mediator was a sinful man. It was Moses. Moses was a man selected by God. Moses was a man that did God's work, but Moses was a sinful man. He was a human man. At Zion, the mediator is the Son of God. God himself, God incarnate. It is his sprinkled blood, not the blood of an animal that seals the covenant. And while Genesis 4 speaks of Abel's blood crying out to God after he was slain, it is Jesus, as William Lane says, I love this, whose blood speaks more effectively than the blood of Abel and provides assurance that those who pursue peace and holiness will be welcomed. And it's directly into the arms of this divine mediator that those who follow through on this race, that pursue and follow after Christ, it is into these arms of the divine mediator that they will be welcomed. This is our destination. This is what we pursue. This is what we strive for. I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to do something. Some of you are going to be able to do this more easily than others. First of all, I want you to picture that you're going to run a marathon. Some of you have done that. I know that there are some of you in this church that have run marathons. You've trained for them. You've you've put in all the time and preparation and energy, and you've run this marathon, and you're coming to the finish line. You're dripping sweat. To be honest, the only only sweat that running a marathon conjures up in my mind is a cold sweat, like a nightmare, because it sounds super, super terrible. And if you're like me, this may be harder to do, but I want you to work with me here. Picture that you have run a marathon and you are crossing over the finish line. And as you cross over that finish line, you fall into the arms of Jesus. You have run 26.2 miles. Your legs are like jello. You are sweating profusely. You smell terrible. You're dehydrated. And into the arms of Jesus, you fall. You fall into his arms arms, and you experience the strongest, most comforting, most loving embrace you can possibly imagine. I want you to keep this image in your mind as we work through the rest of this text. This image of you after having run this long race, embraced in the arms of Christ. Verses 25 through 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Have you ever had one of those warnings? Someone has warned you not to do something, but you did it anyway. Kids, have you ever had one of those times? Maybe your parents have warned you not to do something. And you did it anyway, and you're like, oh, that thing's not going to happen. But it happened. You're like, oh, I should have listened to their advice. I should have listened to the warning, because now you're having to deal with the consequences. And truth be told, that is never a fun scenario. It's always frustrating. You kick yourself for not listening And verse 25 begins by offering one of these warnings. Christians, in light of the new covenant and their closeness to God through Jesus as mediator, have this great, perhaps we could even say greater responsibility to listen to him than even the Israelites did because the consequences are so much greater. Think about this. Christians have this huge responsibility to listen to what God is telling them because the consequences are, are going to be even greater than for the Israelites when they disobeyed God. There is trouble that if we do not listen to God that lays before us. There's this eschatological revelation, revelation, that's the word, which means end times. It's this end times revelation in these previous three verses that Jesus, by his blood, as mediator, has sealed this new covenant, and those who do not take this seriously will not escape judgment. There is this end times revelation that if we do not listen to what God is telling us, if we do not follow after him, we will not escape his judgment. We see the sealing of covenants in the Old Testament with blood of of animals. But here the blood that seals the covenant is that of the mediator himself the perfect lamb, the son of God. This is an important covenant. And in verses 26 and 27, we catch a glimpse of what is to come. Have you ever experienced an earthquake before? Anybody experienced an earthquake? If you've lived here, if you're a Californian, a transplant up here, you probably have experienced an earthquake. I think the the biggest one that I've experienced was the Nisqually quake, right? That was in 2001, I believe. It was a big quake. It was a lunchtime. I was in high school, and all of a sudden, the cafeteria floor started to roll, and light fixtures started to open, and there were books in classrooms that were falling off shelves and coming out of the cupboards, and we went to the field, and we waited there for a long time. I don't recall how long it was, but it was a long time. Finally, we were able to go home, and And my parents had left our house basically as it was. They hadn't picked anything up because they wanted us to see the damage. And it was scary to see things, big heavy TVs and things knocked over and plates shattered and and stuff just all over the place. It was a scary experience. I know there are probably some of you that, that have been in bigger earthquakes than that. Earthquakes are not fun. They are scary. And yet, I think in these passages, the earthquake 
that is being talked about, the shaking that is being talked about will be even more terrifying than what you and I have experienced up to this point. 26 and 27, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Again, we see the stark contrast. There are those things that can and will be shaken and destroyed, and there are those things that cannot be shaken. Those things that are unshakable. Then who's doing the shaking? God is doing the shaking. The ground shook at Sinai. If you remember Exodus 19, 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. He did this before, and he has promised that he will do it again. The prophet Haggai in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6 says this, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And as we sang earlier, when God makes a promise, it is as good as done. God keeps his promises. And if this is a promise, we can count on this happening. Verse 27, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Earthly creation will be shaken. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time trying to create things, to build things, build careers and homes and reputations and I've been getting into building back up this old Volkswagen Beetle. All of these things that we build, that we do, all of this will go away. Those things are shakable. The shaking will tear down all of these things that have been created. And the only thing that will be left, the only unshakable thing is the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is unshakable. And that is encouraging. 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We see this phrase in Deuteronomy 4, 24, as a warning against creating idols. God wants our attention. He doesn't want us to be putting our attention and our focus on anyone or anything else. He is our number one priority, and that is where he wants us to focus. This entire chapter, chapter 12 of Hebrews, has been about pressing forward, moving forward in faith, in growth, in discipline, in love. It is about growing as a follower of Christ, about experiencing and demonstrating the discipline that is needed to allow God to transform our lives so that you and I can someday receive God and his kingdom, which is unshakable. He alone is worthy of our praise. A few minutes ago, I asked you to picture yourself completing a marathon and running straight into Jesus' arms, receiving the most incredible embrace that you could possibly ever experience. And it might be hard for you, like it is for me, to picture yourself completing a marathon. 
But that is what we are running each and every day. But because of the new covenant sealed in the blood of Christ, that divine heavenly embrace awaits all who believe. And it is the greatest reward and it is guaranteed. It is the promise made to those who humbly submit their lives to Christ. And it, I'm going to say it again, is unshakable. At MVC, we are deeply committed to helping people grow in their relationships with Jesus Christ. It's called discipleship. We believe in discipleship. We believe that discipleship is the lifelong, relational, spirit-empowered pursuit to become more like Jesus. That is what discipleship is. And we are committed to helping people walk in this process. To be honest, that's probably a definition we need to say more around here. We need to keep that at the forefront of our minds. Discipleship is this process of moving closer to God, of being disciplined, of being refined, of looking to the past, reflecting on our journey from where we have come to this place in covenant with Christ. It's a lifelong process because it is ongoing. The great thing, though, about discipleship is, though, for a marathon, you have to start at the beginning. At the very beginning is the only place you can really start the race. But when it comes to discipleship, you could have been walking far from the Lord all the way up until this point. But you can step right into that race today. Right here now, you can step into that race. Discipleship is relational because the body of Christ is relational. And God wants to have a relationship with us. And it is spirit-empowered because left to our own devices, we cannot ever desire to pursue God. It is only by the Spirit working in us, by God's grace, developing, creating, stirring up faith in our hearts that we could pursue after God. It is spirit-empowered. Discipleship is not easy, but it is worth it to experience the new covenant, to experience God's unshakable promise to those who persevere, to experience the embrace of our Savior, and to hear him say those words that we love when we read in Scripture, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know where you are at today, I don't know if you've been running this race. I don't know if it's something that perhaps you have considered but have never really been willing to give it a go. But if today you want to take a step forward on this journey for the very first time, for the very first time you want to put on your shoes and step into that marathon race and run the race, we want to walk with you in that. And I would love for you to repeat the words that I pray here in just a moment And I would love for you to let us know if that's a decision that you make today. Because like those angels, we want to celebrate with you. And we want to walk with you. And we want to help you persevere and endure because the prize at the end is unshakable. And there is no greater prize than the offer that is given to us through this new covenant sealed in Christ's blood of eternal life in the kingdom of God. It is the ultimate prize. So if that is something that you want to do, I encourage you to pray with me. If you've already accepted Christ, if you are already walking that road, I encourage you just to pray it again, just to reaffirm your commitment 
to Christ. It doesn't hurt to say it again, to remind ourselves of what it is that we have committed ourselves to, to the pursuit of the unshakable kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord God, today I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize, Lord, that I mess up. But I recognize, Lord, that your Son was sent to earth to die on a cross, to shed his blood and seal a new covenant so that I could be in eternal relationship with you. And today, Lord, I give my life to you. I commit to running the race. I commit to persevering, and I ask that your spirit would work in me to transform my heart and my mind so that I can desire you and your ways. We love you, Lord. We thank you for today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.